Uh, joining me now is our good friend, Mr. Al Bat. Al, how are things over near Heartland, Minnesota? You know, it's a, a beautiful time of year, fall. Man, the colors are nice, and uh, the crops are really coming out. I'm looking at a bean field uh, that I can see out my window. It's just uh, dust. It looks like somebody driving down a limestone road. So they're really getting after the crops, and I hope, uh, I hope, you know, there's been a couple of uh, terrible tragedies out in fields. So I, I just hope everybody has a safe harvest. Is uh, it's um, a time of year when uh, an old farm boy, man, you get busy, you go without enough sleep, and you're just uh, you're thinking three moves ahead like you're playing chess, and that's not always good when you're around big equipment. Uh, usually, usually chess chess pieces don't hurt you unless your opponent throws them at you or something, but uh, a big tractor or combine, it's a different story. I do want to thank uh, Austin Audubon Society and also the friends of the J.C. Hormel Nature Center for allowing me to come in there and, and yap at them. So wonderful, wonderful people who I uh, I appreciate them more than, than I could I could ever say. And the other day, I was out in the yard doing some things, picking up sticks and uh, just kind of cleaning up some old plants that need to go. And it was a nice enough day. And the yard crows were laughing at fall's mood swings, I think. Uh, crows are just wonderful at entertaining themselves. And I wonder if crows have a favorite season. I like all 67 seasons that we have in Minnesota, but it's difficult to find one more beautiful than autumn. And fall carries more gold in its pocket than does any other season. And I was thinking, it was cool that day when I was out there, and I was thinking, when does the first 32-degree day on average happen here where I am? And, of course, there's no record of that because I'm not where hardly anyone else is. But it's October 3rd in Albert Lee and October 5th in Mankato, October 10th in the Twin Cities and September 26th in St. Cloud. And it just, uh, I know folks will say, oh, it never happens on that date. Well, that's the average. I visited Hawk Ridge in Duluth on a below-freezing, windy, too-close-to-Lake-Superior kind of day. And most folks were smart enough to wear winter clothing. Only one lunkhead wasn't that bright. I wore a light jacket and uh, couldn't find a hat and... I was happy to have the jacket, and I looked for gloves because that seemed like that would be an important thing. I could only find one glove in the car. It was a, a yellow work glove for my left hand, so I wore it. It, it was definitely a two-glove day, but I went in it with just one glove. I was chilled yet thrilled with the birds seen at Hawk Ridge, and there was a um, a number of school groups out there, and it was so much fun seeing some of those birds for the through their eyes when they saw the birds really for the first time. And they got to watch one little boy release a sharp shin hawk. And I looked at the other kids, and there was a large group. And that hawk and that little boy had their rapt attention. Of course, the grown-ups there, too, they were all watching, except for one kid, because there's always one kid in a group that's doing something else. And there was one doing something else. But the rest were just... Oh, that bird flew, and all their eyes followed that bird as the way it went. And on the way home, a white-tailed deer ran in front of my car. We missed each other, but a deer's home range is around a square mile. So if I go there again, they might be back, and we got another shot. 
There are things we don't want to hit. Uh, adult does weigh about 145 pounds and the bucks about 170. But the largest deer recorded in Minnesota, I did not look this up. I'm going from memory, but I believe it was a 500-pound buck. Wow, that's is a, that a, is one big buck. You don't want to hit that with your uh, little uh, mini Cooper or something like that. Nothing, no. or the little smart car. How much do moose weigh? I mean, I imagine if we had more moose, which we really don't so much in southern Minnesota, but I imagine, don't they, in northern Minnesota? They do have them in northern Minnesota. And I remember having one, uh, oh, where did I see it? Northwood, Iowa. Oh, gosh, I don't know how many years ago that was. And it had wandered down here. They didn't know if there was uh, something in its brain or if it was just uh, it was just goofy, but it came down to Northwood, Iowa, and all through the area here. But they will weigh, if we look at think of the biggest buck of 500 pounds, a moose will weigh as much as 1,200 pounds. And they can be six to six and a half feet probably from hooves to shoulders. So this uh, that does not include a raised head and that in the antlers. So they are just uh, they're gigantic creatures. And I've told this story before, but a friend was moving to Alaska. So he was moving from Albert Lee. He bought a brand new car, a Toyota, a small Toyota, like a, oh, it was a Celica or something, I believe, in those days. And he drove it all the way up there. That's how he broke it in. And he had no problems. He said, man, it was like the perfect car. It was just everything. He liked the car. It just fit him. And he got uh, within a few miles of where he was going to be living, and he hit a moose. Oh, dear. And he said they hit the moose, and it was just like the moose tipped over and took out his windshield because it was taller than his car. So, But luckily he wasn't hurt. Uh, the second half of October here that we're in now brought five eastern bluebirds to my yard, and I christened them, you know, the bluebird of happiness. So one had to be happiness. One was kindness, one forgiveness, one hopefulness, and one wellness. So I hope they all leave their mark here. Are they on their they way red down fox. south? Is that where they're going south for a while, or, or what are they doing? They, um, yeah, they will go wherever they're comfortable, wherever there's food. So they just head south as far as they need to go. Kind of like robins, and we will occasionally see some uh, eastern bluebirds on Christmas bird counts, by oh. no means as we do robins, but once in a while there'll be one here that stays. So they're tough little guys, and they're eating berries, and so if they can find some place where there's a lot of berries, uh, you'll see them in the, in the wintertime, not too far south of us here. Is there something we can do I to keep them? Fox. Is there something we can do to keep the bluebirds oh. out? Stop allowing them access to travel agents, oh. I guess, would be the best thing. If they can't get hold of a travel agent, then they'll probably have to stay. They do like berries, various buried plants. And uh, I know somebody said the other day, said, I, sometimes I feel guilty if I'm doing anything that Mike wasn't talking about hummingbirds, which is often the case, but I feel guilty by doing something that might keep a bird here. And I said, you know, they're not, they're going to go when it's time. So he doesn't have to feel bad about that. I was so happy to see a red fox, a young one, in uh, running down alongside the road here. And I love red foxes. Red foxes are native to the boreal and western portions of North America. But its origins are unknown in many lowland areas. Uh, red foxes were absent from much of the East Coast at the time of the European settlement and didn't become common there until the mid-1800s. Uh, Volpes 
V-U-L-P-E-S, vulpes, is uh, Latin for fox. So the red fox, its scientific name is vulpes vulpes, <laughs> meaning fox fox. So somebody uh, just said uh, they must have had been having a bad day there at the scientific naming <laughs> lab and said, I am so sick of these. Uh, I'm going to call this one fox fox. I read, uh, I, I see so many of these. I read a report that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and it documents another startling loss of insect abundance. Uh, Bradford Lister, he's a biologist at the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. I believe that is uh, located in the state of New York. And he measured the resources of the Puerto Rican rainforest. So he measured insects and insectivores in 1976. He returned nearly 40 years later with a colleague. And what the scientists didn't see troubled them. There were fewer birds flitting about overhead. Butterflies, once abundant, had nearly vanished. Their study revealed a significant decrease in insect populations from 1976 to the present. So again, this is in Puerto Rico. They do a sample biomass where they just collect uh, great numbers of various kinds of insects, and they did that in 1976. They, this time, that biomass had decreased to about 25% or less of what it had been. Not 25% less, but 25% or less of what it had been. And the catch rate in traps fell 60 times, by 60 times what it had been. Insect-eating frog and bird numbers plummeted, and bird captures fell 50%. Uh, Lister attributes the crash to climate change. Speaking of frogs, uh, I don't know if I talked to you about frog. my frog. It was like the Armageddon of uh, frogs crossing the road lately, going from one side to the other toward Lake Washington as I was coming back from the lake house. I could not avoid them. I could not swerve. I could not miss them. They were everywhere, and they were splattered everywhere. What's the deal? Where are they going, and why don't they stay in the— there's a swamp across the road, and that's where they're coming from, apparently, to go to the lake. Do they like it deeper? Does it matter? What's going on? The wetland uh, across the road is always wetter, so they're heading for that. And they like they're deeper looking water? for a place to winter up. So they like the deeper Some water? Some of them would. Okay. Some would, but not all. Yeah, so I, why they go where they go, it's like turtles sometimes. You try to straighten them out, and if you push them back towards the side of the road, then they will just cross the road again. So you hmm. always take them the way they're going. And uh, Tom Jessen should, from Adelia should be out there protecting each and every frog. <laughs> That's his job. So I don't know why he's not out there but helping. But they're what, headed to a place where they're going to winter up. What prompted this mass? It was like it was probably last week when it happened. But there's just this mass exodus across the road, and I mean both both ways around near the lake area. And I just thought something was it real cold weather? Was it windy weather? Was it what? People moving their docks in. <laughs> you know, it could be something like that. They're just all on the same schedule. They're oh. probably a good chairman of the same age, so they're doing stuff at the same time. And there's certain days that are more conducive for mm. movement, and they have to get done. It's like people getting the docks out. I guess you got to get it out uh, by this date. And if it's a, a good day for getting the docks out, you get out and get the docks out. So these guys are moving. And again, they're moving somewhere where they can winter up, where they feel comfortable, where they feel safe. 
and secure, so they're heading there, and for some reason where they're going is better than where they're coming from. And, and, boy, and what I do sure they do? Do they, do they hibernate so they don't eat, or do they eat when they're under the mud, or what happens? A lot of them have this, uh, I shouldn't say a lot of them, but some of them have this wonderful ability to have, uh, we always talk about wood frogs are this way, they have like antifreeze hmm. in their system. And they can just, uh, the frog freezes and then comes back to life in the spring, which is just an amazing, amazing thing. I, I can't imagine, I know scientists keep studying it, and I'm sure they found out so much more than I know about them, but they just freeze. And a lot of other ones will hibernate, and they typically need to be near oxygen-rich water, and they spend a good portion of the winter just, lying on top of the mud, and maybe some of them will be partially buried. And they may even slowly swim around from time to time. So in, they, in the uh, winter under the, have, I, uh, under the ice, do they swim, Al? I'm trying to picture this. Yep, they sure do Whoa. on occasion. So I've, I've talked to uh, ice fishermen who say, I, I saw a frog the other day. Huh. So frogs can survive undergoing, they can undergo cycles of freezing and thawing and survive better than our, our roads typically. If it gets too cold for them, they will die, though. So they need to, uh, they need to have some protection. Um, when the weather gets warmer, as I said, we can think of them as melting, kind of, at least the wood frog. And we can think of the other ones melting, even though they're not, because it sounds better. Well, they melt and then they... They come to life and we see life, and we see them again. I I love frogs. Uh, P. Jean Shampoo, C. H. M. P. O. U. X, said, "Do giant assemblages of red berries indicate a cold winter? We have robins that winter over and tell each other where the good berries are, and lots of redwoods. Red ones seem to be in abundance this year." P. Jean, I've heard an abundance of berries means a bad winter coming. I've heard that pretty much all my life. But I think the number of berries is more likely due to conditions in weather pass. So a good summer, a good fall, something like that will lead to more berries. Uh, Christopher Burke of Mankato found a dead white-throated sparrow in uh, downtown Mankato. Probably flew into a window. Uh, Mark Salk of Truman said, Al, I saw something I haven't seen since I was a teenager. I was combining soybeans at night on October 17th when I saw an American woodcock in the lights of the combine. It was really cool to see one of them again. Just thought I'd let you know. Well, thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. Yeah, they're cool birds. Uh, Bob and Jan Cohn, who live in Fairmont, outside of Fairmont, have uh, trumpeter swans, a pair of trumpeter swans by their place right now. And they also have a doe with uh, three triplets. Well, it'd be three triplets, <laughs> wouldn't it? They have a doe with, with triplets. So or they, I suppose they could have had two twins, but they have three triplets <laughs> instead. But it, uh, it happens fairly regularly, triplet, triplets. Um, if it's been a good year as far as nutrition, forage has been good for a doe. And if the doe's not a her first time giving birth. Uh, there's a fairly good chance of having triplets in Minnesota. It's um, it's cool to see them, but as I told Bob and Jan, I, 
I like seeing them at their place a lot more than I like seeing them in my yard, although I, I get a kick out of seeing them. But they have a, um, a great appetite for things I wish they would not eat. And uh, I know a lot of people that have hostas will mm-hmm. mention that. And I, I think the more you spend on a hosta, the more deer enjoy eating it. They, um, and ours isn't bad compared to some yards. I talk to people and... They end up doing all those kind of, is it deer away or deer be gone or something? And a lot of them will tell me they have some luck with that and other mixtures. The thing is, you if it rains, you have to spray it again, even if you have a heavy dew, I think. You know, even you with a re- fi- even with a fence, sometimes the deer they they have long necks or something. Because I swear, I've got a fence around my garden, and they will reach so far to get the green beans and things that. No matter what you do, they're always going to be around to, to figure something out. And years ago, I wrote, uh, I used to write a lot for Birds and Bloom, and then I, I um, was writing for Bird Watchers Digest, and I felt guilty doing both <laughs> things very much. But uh, So now I just write for Bird Watchers Digest, but I wrote a, oh, man, I thought it was so smart. You know, what you could plant that deer would not eat, mm-hmm. and I went on and on about plant this, and now I would make it a real simple article for Birds and Blooms. <laughs> if they'd like to reprint that article, I'd say, deer will eat anything if they're hungry enough, yeah. and that pretty much sums it up. I don't know what... There's records of deer eating eggs. They will eat young birds, uh, ground-nesting birds. They will eat pretty much everything and anything. They're like that uh, that Uncle Bob that everybody has that just eats everything. It doesn't. He doesn't care what it is. He puts it on his plate, puts salt on everything, and then eats it. That's how deer are. They will just eat pretty much everything, and that's that's why they're doing so well. That's why we see deer everywhere. I got a nice question, a text message from somebody saying, when I was a child, something got into our hen house and killed many of our chickens. Why would a predator kill more than it could eat? It's called a surplus eating, excessive killing, or hen house syndrome. And when I was a boy, that's what we called it. Uh, I don't know if we called it syndrome, but it was a hen house something or another. And it was, it's common behavior exhibited by predators. They will kill more prey than they can immediately eat, and they will cache or abandon the remainder. And some animals have been observed engaging in surplus killing include weasels, wolves, foxes, bears, coyotes, lynx, mink, raccoons, dogs, house cats, and humans. And uh, some owls will even do that. So there's a lot of things that will, it's just, I guess, it's like us going to the supermarket where we want to, we're going to stock up and we'll have all this. I guess a weasel gets in there. And then um, when I was a kid, I remember we had a, oh, a film strip. I have no idea what the film strip name of it was. I don't think it burned in two like most of them did. But they talked about the bloodlust of, it was weasels and minks hmm. where they get in, and, and I, I do say minks once in a while because I guess sometimes you're supposed to say minks instead of mink, but they will get in there and they'll just go crazy over uh, having found prey and um, subdued a prey, maybe one that's bigger than they are, and all of a sudden they'll just go nuts, which is um, why they have buffets 
for humans. We do this. We just go nuts. It's sort of a, uh, I don't know, potato lust or maybe meatloaf <laughs> lust that we suffer from. I do want to mention one thing. I know it's that time of year to uh, bug folks about, uh, you know, I don't know how many times I've said give a hoot about nature and support KMSU, but I do hope you all do something wild today and, and get out there and uh, send a donation to KMSU. It's great radio, and it deserves it. And um, Al, you know so many different. How you talked earlier? I was going to mention this earlier. You talked about how you didn't have a hat for a fifty-dollar pledge, and I know you pledged. Thank you very much. I'm going to send you the KMSU yeah. knit cap, so you will always have one when you are out there. I'll send one for Gail too, so you'll always be warm, and everybody oh will gosh. know that you're the KMSU supporters, and we appreciate it very, very much. And now I won't be walking to Hawk Ridge up there and come. <laughs> a, a friend of mine, Clinton Neenhouse, he's from uh, Winnebago originally, and he's a naturalist at Hawk Ridge and also at Sag Zimbog. He's just a great guy and was named one of the 20 under 40 people in Duluth to keep an eye on. And I, I've tried to keep an eye on him for other reasons through the years, but he's a great guy. I'm walking there, and he said, uh, I'll never forget his words, are you nuts? And <laughs> I think he he nailed it pretty much. And he was looking around to see if he had another hat. I think he was wearing two of them, and he's a nice guy, but he wasn't nice enough to share <laughs> one of those with me. But, yeah, I will uh, thank you. I will wear it with pride. Yeah, we've been supporters of KMSU yes. for forever and a day, and uh, it means a, a great deal of difference in our lives. We get to hear... Uh, voices that we would not hear otherwise, and that's extremely important to hear other people's voices and uh, and other people's music. I don't know how many different uh, I like music, and I don't know how many different kinds of music I have discovered thanks to KMSU that I would unlikely have heard or been aware of otherwise. Oh, me too. I mean, it's one, yeah, when I started working here, there were so many things I wasn't exposed to. I didn't realize how narrow my my musical focus had been until I started listening, you know, all the time. And I thought, wow, you, you can really learn a lot. So anyway, I did. I read a study. I'm a chronic reader of studies and research. <laughs> and one said that most Americans stopped acquiring or enjoying or listening to new music by the age of 30. Oh, sad. They've got enough music by that time, so they they want to listen to their music. This is what they like, and and uh, I think KMSU maybe drags us out of that uh, place. So we enjoy different kind of music, and, and do we like all the music? Of course not. Nobody can like all the music, but most of it I certainly enjoy, and it, it drags me out of that where I'm stuck in my ways. So hey, I don't uh, have to listen to it. I wanted to give you some uh, feedback from our good friend John in New Ulm because the last couple weeks that we were pre-recorded, he, of course, has been sending me information. So, And I had to send him a text back and say, sorry, Al's not live today. But he sent me a letter, Al, and he wants to let you know some things, including that the post office sure. has come out with Winterbird 50 cent stamps, including the Cardinal, the Blue Jay, the Chickadee, and Woodpecker. And I thought that was kind of cool. Apparently, they're, the background is white. There's uh, branches that are light color, but the birds are in full color. Kind of simple and plain, he says, but neat. So I can't wait to get some of those because I love stamps. Yeah, me too. I That's what I use on my, on my letters. 
and you write a lot. A you don't you write almost every day? Because I know you say you either send a postcard. And a while every back, day. you sent me a nice article uh, featuring, I believe it was uh, something with the 4-H kids in it. That was very, very nice. Thank you yeah. so much. Appreciate that. And John also has something else, of course, that you've been missing the last couple of weeks. And you know what that is? Okay. Yeah, I know. That's where make Al look foolish or sound foolish. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Here's the question. Why shouldn't you use a broken pencil? Oh, I, I, I suppose it has something to do with lead, but I don't know. Because it's pointless. Oh, <laughs> it's gosh. You know, and, and how true that is, too. So, so yes, well, thank I you, John. Every- I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, John. And I hope everybody will, uh, again, um, support KMSU. It's a great uh, resource for many, many things. And I hope when you're done sending that check off that you have a few bucks left so you will come to the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links. A special is always Heimlich Maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. According to CandyStore.com, the most popular, this is based on sales, Halloween candy in Iowa is candy corn. No way. Oh, I just go. I want to go ew at the end of that, but that's what they say. Well, and it's followed by M&M's oh, and yeah. Reese's Cups. Those are good. Yeah. And in Minnesota, Tootsie Pops. No. I can't believe that's true, but that's according to their sales. Hmm. Then Skittles and then candy corn. I think these folks have some kind of cornered the market on candy corn or something. Because I remember as a kid, when we go to school for Halloween, they'd have the Halloween party at school, and we'd bob for apples, and you'd get water up your nose and then the next kid would stick his nose in there and spread the cold around a little bit that way and we'd get candy corn and we were not excited for no. the most part about getting candy corn that was down on the bottom of our list i, I would give it to dad he would eat it and well maybe the happy the but, fact is that they sell it but that doesn't necessarily mean people are eating it maybe it's because it's a tradition they say oh it's cheap let's buy it for decoration tradition. and then they throw it out because i don't i've never seen a kid uh, clamor at your door to say oh do you have candy corn to hand out for halloween trick-or-treat no just doesn't happen. It's probably to um, take home and give to dad. Maybe yes. that's what they do it. The, the other big thing in news was Volkswagen will stop producing the Beetle next year, so there'll be no more slug bug, and there will be a dramatic decrease in shoulder injuries <laughs> because of that, because uh, I don't know how many we drive along. Oops, slug bug. Whoever said it first got to slam the other one in the arm, so he always had a black and blue slug bug arm. Uh, road work is plentiful this year. That means orange traffic barrels bloom in abundance. Many barrels are hit by automobiles. I figure most of the collisions are caused by inattentive or impaired drivers and hit in the dark of night or during inclement weather. But I was driving an interstate that had been reduced from two lanes to one due to road construction. It was 2.30 on a sunny afternoon with nearly perfect weather. The speed limit, 60 miles an hour. There was a white Lincoln behind me, driven by a young woman with a child in the car. How did I know that? She was tailgating me. She was right on my bumper, and I drove 60 as she tried to park in my tailpipe. I couldn't see her license plate, couldn't always see her bumper. 
she appeared preoccupied. I'd have pulled over to let her pass, but there was no place allowing that. And she hit one of those orange barrels on her left. Oh, she hit it a and good lick. She pulled over for a few seconds, but it wasn't long before she was failing to maintain a safe distance behind me once again. Lesson discarded. So if I can tell you anything today, please donate to KMSU and don't drive like that young woman in the white Lincoln. Remember, Heartlandus, while we're driving past, thanks for having nothing better to do than to listen to me and do something wild today. Look at a bird and then send a check off to KMSU. Karen, I enjoyed your company. Thank you, Al. I appreciate you too. And uh, we will chat with you again next week. Until then, have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.